This year is brought to you by Eshel Publications. Eshel Publications is a non-profit organization dedicated to spreading the Torah, Shiurim, and Sefarim of Rabbi Aaron Lapiansky. For sponsorships or more information, visit eshelpublications.com. About an hour. Uh, if we could please just move up close. Everybody. We have the pr- privilege tonight of hearing from Vlopiansky, who is the Rosh Hashiva in Silver Spring. He comes every year, speaks to us the Torah, and then he opens the floor for questions and answers. Um, it's a tremendous opportunity for us. Vlopiansky is known for uh, not only his outstanding knowledge of Torah, but also he has a unique eloquence and the ability to communicate in a very clear way. And it's a tremendous opportunity that you guys should not hesitate to avail yourselves of. Any question that you may have, whenever Lepiansky opens up the floor, please uh, please feel free to ask. Stop for a little bit. First of all, I want to give a yashakah for the wonderful job the, the Shiva does here. We've had over the years, almost every year, we have one or two representatives of Civil Spring here. This year, the same, and um, do an extraordinary job of developing young Torah. We've had over the years many Bachim come to us, and we were always amazed by their their integrity in Yiddishkeit, their emphasis in Yiddishkeit. Things are real, things are genuine. No, you know, corners are not cut, and very, very serious about Yiddishkeit, and we appreciate it. So, Yashakochachem and continue doing the job that you do. The, um, I guess before we start the questions and answers, let's ask ourselves, is there a place for questions and answers in the Torah? Everything has a source in the Torah, and a format one would, one would think that the right format for Yiddishkeit is, Moshe Rabbeinu come down from the mountain, and like they say in Evit, Marbitz Torah, you know, whether you like it or not, this is, thus has the Lord said, that's it. Uh, you could ask, I didn't get what you said, but is there room for what we would call intellectual query or not? So I think there's a very important source, an extraordinary important source. Outside a minute. Moshe Rabbeinu has his first nevuah from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Rabbeinu. The place, so let's go through the conversation. Moshe was busy um, with, with the sheep. They were out to pasture. He sees something very strange. He sees a fire that doesn't seem to consume um, whatever it is that its fuel is. You know I need to look at this. And why is it that the snare is not consumed? Hashem Hashem saw that he's going to. So let's think a minute. There was obviously a halacha that in that place it's a mokum kadosh. The, the, the place had a din of a mokum kadosh. So Moshe Bain is being over an iser by standing there. Uh, let's give an example. Imagine you saw somebody walked out of the Tchuman Shabbos, or somebody was carrying something in his pocket and airs down. So you, you wouldn't say, Hi, Yankel, how are you? I've been seeing all the time. What's doing? By the way, airs down and, and you're carrying something. The right thing to do is to go back immediately, not to throw it out in, in that place, or, 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 or wherever I love it. You tell them, right, the first thing you say is, It's us, sir, and then you get on with the, with the conversation. Why did Kadesh Baruch Hu tell him Moshe Moshe Mehineni, and he says I'll take him alone? So I once heard about this from somebody in Rav Shamsha Fall Weiss. 
His son, Reb Saul Meir Weiss, is the son of Chaim Shalevitz. He himself learned the Mir was an extraordinary personality, a big time Chacham. He was the executive director of OU for many years, extraordinary speaker, and so on. And he once said, if Moshe would not have said Hineni, it would not have been a Makam Kadosh. And I want to add to that. Moshe's prophecy started with a question. He said, His interest was peak. What's going on? Akash saw that he went out of his way to look at it, and, and, and then, and then Akash Baruch spoke to him. In other words, if you are an apathetic type of person, yeah, life is life. Why, why is this? Why is that? I don't know. I don't know. I don't care. It doesn't bother me. There's not Akash Baruch Hu doesn't push his way into your world. Unless stop a minute and ask a question. What's going on? Why is it going on? It's it's not going to happen. It's fascinating. Loshna Kodesh. Um, the 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 the, 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 the Ramchal in says that a person the first step in Yiddishkeit is that a person um, clarify to himself what's my obligation to the world the word ma in Hebrew means it's a question and it also means like the word mahut what is it the word is, is both true it's a question understanding something is when you understand the issue and the problem and that's why um, questioning, questions that really bother a person are going to get them someplace. The worst enemy of growth in Yiddishkeit, in anywhere, is couldn't care less. When a person, when something bothers a person, am I doing right? How, you know, how am I supposed to respond to the situation? A person is involved sometimes in a situation that talks to somebody else. And, and he's bewildered. I don't know, the person did something wrong. The terrorist says, I'm not supposed to take revenge. Why? Why shouldn't I take revenge? It bothers me. He did wrong. Why shouldn't I? If it bothers you enough, you'll get to an understanding. And you know where to look, and you keep looking for an answer, you'll get someplace. So, an honest question, and by honest question means that you're ready to commit to an answer that you come to realize is true, no matter how difficult the price, those are questions that you really will get to someplace. So, with that in mind, I guess, just so we have a framework of where questions and answers have a makam. And, and, and it, it's questions that a person honestly is bothered by. Something that a person um, will not rest until he hasn't clarified for himself and found the truth. Those are the questions that are the beginning of, of Nevoah and the beginning of Meshavena's Nevoah. So I guess with that, <coughs> I don't know who's the... Yes? So... The Rambam has a principle that says God is not physical at all. Yeah. But uh, doesn't that sort of limit God if he can't be something? And it kind of branches off into another one of Rambam's principles that says God is completely uh, infinite. So then how can an infinite being create and live in a finite universe? So um, let, let's get a, a, a piece clear over here. It, one of the problems we have with, with when we talk about infinite is that we start to stumble on the words because it really doesn't mean anything to us. We don't have anything infinite. So the only the word infinite, in in the in 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 the sense that it's used, is best translated. We can't put any um, anything that would curtail Akadosh Baruch's activities. It's not what Akadosh Baruch is because we're clueless. So let, let's give an example. If, if I say that God's justice per, pervades the universe. So, okay, so if this room is closed, can it get in? Can it just get in? Can it get out? The answer is, it, th- that terminology does, doesn't apply to a concept. The only thing that we can, when we say God is infinite, we can't imagine him being all over the place, and therefore we can't put him in a box. All we can say is, we cannot posit any limitation on God. And, 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 and it leads to problems because we can't, honestly speaking, we can't work with that. The only thing is we know is we can't say, well, God didn't get there in time, or God didn't know about it, or God couldn't. That's the only thing it really means. Yes? Questions? Uh.
Yes. Uh, uh, in terms of giving mice your money, um, let's say like you set aside, like you have a job, so every time you get your pay, you set aside money. Right. Let's say you're out on the streets, right? And you're what on the streets? You're like out on the streets, whatever, you're walking around New York City, whatever, and you want to give somebody tzedakah, but you don't have your miser money on you. So you take money out of your wallet and give it to them. Can you pay yourself back with the miser money? Or if you have it in mind, one of the most important things to remember about miser money is there's a tricky rule that you can't pay off debts with MISA money. So if you gave the money, and then later you say, you know what, I gave the guy charity, why should I pay myself for MISA money? You can't do that. But if you say to yourself, I will give this money as my MISA, it's, MISA money is not a physical entity, like this is soccer money. If I take out all the money here and I put in uh, $100 or whatever it might be worth over here, th that's just as good. So if, if when you're giving it, you're conscious of it, They'll be fine. So, so you say, so I, I, I want to give this guy a dollar. My miser money is somewhere in the bank. <laughs> so I am going to give this dollar to the miser account, and the miser account goes to me. That that would be fine. Yes. Um, a lot of times when people ask a lot of questions, it leads to like denying God and not like, like atheism and stuff like that. So what, where's that fine line that one brings you like seeing Hashem and one cannot bring you to deny Hashem? Um. I, I think that, that there's there's a, a a saying of one of the early Balimusa, Reb Simcha Zisol from Kelm, once said that the mind is a stylus with which to inscribe on the heart. I would like to rephrase it a little bit in the sense that the mind, end of the day, is a tool. Rarely are our decisions it, 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 a lot of times there's a struggle between what we'd like to do and what our mind tells us most of the time we end up tweaking the mind to have a sense of what we'd like it to do um, it's difficult It's also, so, so if a person if I really want to opt out of religion I've had terrible experiences I've, it, most of the time it's got to do a lot more with your experience of it and the sense of it and the consequence of it that it has with, with dry mental calculations. Um, so so pe you'll just keep asking questions, um, it, it, and, and it's, it's endless kind of. I, I want to tell you over a, a fascinating story. There was one of the great Musser um, luminaries was somebody called the Yosef Yosel Horowitz. He was from the Vardic. I don't know how many of you read up about it and so on, but the Vardic was known for being very extreme, <laughs> very extreme, in the Muslim movement. It was a very powerful movement It was a, in, in Europe. It, it was very powerful because they needed nothing and did everything. So they would come into a town, they would send two Bacham in, they would come after Shachas, would, somebody would get up by the bima, give a clap and say, we've just established the Yeshiva of Bebris. And, you know, anybody can register. And so one guy would run out schlepping all the kids to sit them down in the, in the shul. The other guy would beg for bread from the other people and they had a Yeshiva. So with that, with that type of overhead, you could actually get yeshivas going. And they were very, very, very um, strident. And they, 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 were, they accomplished a lot. The head of it, and his main shita was Emes. And he was brilliant, very smart man. His grandchildren are alive. They're, uh, and the Yafin family is, is one grandchild. Heinz Levitz, his mother was a daughter of the Alta uh, of the Vardic. Um, who else? didn't leave any children, but it, it, the family still exists. The Afton family is, is probably the most prominent family. And um, somebody once came from a professor from university. The person was not from. In those days, it was kind of everything was at a lag ahead. And if you were if you were in university, you were very not from and very liberal. And he comes in and he says, "I heard that you're a very bright man, and I'd like to discuss things with you. I've come to discuss religion with you." He said, great. He said, one ground rule. We will sit and talk. At the end of the discussion, if you're right, my yarmulke stays here, my talismans stay here, and I go to university, and I'm an atheist. If I'm right, you remain in yeshiva. So he said, nah, I didn't mean it to be so extreme. I just, I just wanted to discuss it with you. So he told them, life is too short for idle discussions. I'm looking for truth. And I'm, I'm open-minded enough that I'm willing to accept it might be by you. But 
just to engage in a few days of, of hack, I'm not, I'm not interested. It's very hard when somebody's, you know, when somebody's asking the questions. When let's let's take a more contemporary example. When you have somebody, let's say, is is dating somebody with the with the intention of possibly getting married, and then the person has a lot of issues. I think this might be wrong. This might be wrong. At some point, you get a sense. It's not the issues, but there's an anxiety about something, or or something else is going on that's that's churning out all these issues. When a person has one question, it's a question. When a person has a hundred questions. You say to yourself, well, either it's so terribly wrong that there are a hundred questions on it, or, or the person has an anxiety, an unwillingness. It's, it's complex. Religion is not, um, it's, it's not just philosophy. It means a big change in life. It means, it means a big shift in who you are. And for most people, that's a lot of uh, that causes. It's not, it's not questions per se as much as a, a, a sort of a process of expressing um, a desire to push it away, and that's tricky. A person has to be honest with himself and and uh, and know himself, and understand himself. Yes. satisfaction, the money coming in from the rent is still my money because it was my sweat the building and any pay repairs, if I worked hard to plant a tree and a tree is now there and it keeps giving fruit I, I see that as mine as well. Ramchal's point is not that it's the, it's the overcoming of virus alone it's a condition that the sound that I get be for things that I earn once I earned it and it's there, it becomes like principal accruing interest. The reason why I'm going to have Olam Haba in, 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 you know, in, in further on and on starts with the tree that I planted with my own sweat and worked very hard a lot of so, so that's where that comes in. Yes? Uh, for a student who really plans on working for the workforce, what do you consider as the most important thing for the life of the board? A, I think it's, it's, it's a oh, sorry. sorry. Okay, he, he asked <coughs> for someone that's thinking very soon of going into work into the workforce. What's the most valuable thing to learn before, and what's the most valuable thing he can he can learn afterwards? I believe that's what you asked. Yeah. While he's working. While he's yes. working. Um, so first, a little plug for something. Since I don't make money on it, we can plug it. I'm involved in a in an online journal. It's called Cloud Perspectives. Um, it's not doesn't cost money, and it doesn't pay money, and it doesn't. Uh, it's, it's nothing about its money. And we take an issue once in three months. You can go online, cloudperspectives.org, and every three months we we we, we take a, an issue that we feel is facing the cloud and solicit a dozen articles on it from people that are, that that we feel uh, would have what they add and so on and so forth. The, the next, the coming issue, probably at the end of the week or whatever that's coming up now, is dealing in a different way. It's dealing with the transition from colo to the outside world <coughs> and how a person copes and deals with it. But more to your point, I'll, I'll first tell you over sort of a, a vertical, a vert, and then I, I'll, I'll try to give it some sort of 
Krakowinik. They say over from Vishal Salanta, who founded the Musa movement, that someone asked him, he has a quarter of an hour a day, should he learn Musa, or should he learn Halacha or Gemara? So he said, obviously he was the, he was the founder of the Musa movement, he said Musa, because if you learn a quarter of an hour Musa a day, you'll realize you have more time than that. I, 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 now, taking it back to something, I think the most important thing a person can do while he's in Shiva before he goes, is to establish let's call it a control center, a piece of time. A person learns to learn Musa himself and to think about it. So, so a person gets to take a quarter of an hour, a half hour a week is a lot of time. People have a hard time today sitting alone and focusing inwards. We're so used to, to, to uh, twitting, facing, I don't know all the different ways to do it, but the, 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 the Memchas Dvarim, that that, they went to, that that we can do to share it with everybody else we're so used to it, we have a very hard time with it. As an exercise, to take a quarter of an hour a week that a person learns, A, he shuts out everything and everyone else out, he learns something that's more him, and he introspects and asks himself, where am I holding and what am I doing with, with my time? Where am I going to it? What do I think my biggest problems are? And where do I think I can push and get more time better, better uh, efficiency out of what I'm doing. So, in my mind, that's the most valuable piece that it, to be that, that to be put in the place of a person's um, uh, of a person's hekev, of a person's uh, activities. Because if if you're in control of yourself, what happens is with this week's parashas, Paro was was very smart. He may not have been very nice. But he was a very smart person because else the Torah wouldn't talk about him. The Torah doesn't talk about stupid Rishayim because nothing to learn from them. He's a smart. He said, "We don't like. I don't like the sound of 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 Klal Yisrael murmuring. The thing that we need to do is keep them so that they don't have time to think. As long as they keep. And, and sure enough, when they died, all of a sudden people. There was a, a moment pause, and people said, "Hey, what are we, where are we holding? What are we doing?" I remember I visited. Um, Russia, when it was still under the Soviet regime, they used to send Americans and people with foreign passports, Israelis could not go, to teach. There were a few organizations involved in it, <laughs> and I went once. And, and one of the sites that were amazing was you had a, a city that was nominally a major metropolitan area, Moscow. The place where I stayed was in the center of town, was the nicest part of town. And besides the fact that stores have nothing to sell, they, every once in a while, there would be like a pushcart type thing would come, and it'd be this huge line of people around the block. And like one guy explained to me um, that, like as soon as they hear the selling shirts, so everyone runs. I said, but but you don't know if it's if you like the color or the size, whatever. He says it doesn't make a difference. Now I have a shirt and I can barter it. I can sell it. and I can do something with it. So they have this huge line of people, and people wait two hours to buy a shirt. And so it was written up. Most people felt it was due to the, to the great incompetence <coughs> of the system, which is probably true. But somebody explained to me that it's part of it's part of the uh, I guess of, of the system. People are so busy with taking care of the of the of the necessities of life, they don't have time to think about fomenting any revolution. They're so busy. If you're spending two hours for a shirt and another hour and a half. For, for, for bread and butter and milk. So, so, so your time is usefully occupied with standing in line. No one, no one has time to think about anything else. It, what happens to people is you get onto the wheel and you spin with it. And you're in the, you're, you're in the office until as late as the boss wants you. You come home, everybody's going to a wedding, you're going to a wedding, everybody's going golfing, you're going golfing. You never have time to be in control of yourself. So I think the most valuable the shortage of it is to find time and discipline and, the, and, and to learn the skill of thinking about yourself and thinking about your life and, and, uh, and then, you'll be, then at least you'll be in control. Then you'll be able to make a decision. Until that point, once you get onto that wheel, you're going to spin and, and you're not going anywhere. Yes? Let's take somebody from the other side. I, yeah. Um, so I have uh, two questions. One, do you, do you have to give on inherited money? Yes, any money that came into your possession, you'd have to give my some money. Correct, just like a gift or anything like that. Isn't it like right in your, posi- in your possession, like if your parents 
No. In, in some ways, I don't know if you've heard, in Lomdes, in certain ways, Yerusha is benematana. For instance, a, a baby, a, one, a one-day-old baby can have Yerusha. He can't ever get a present or anything like that. But, to the best of my knowledge, for my money, I, I um, you know, I uh, you think you would have to give... My money has to do with what came into you... To, what you gained, that would, that would be... Uh, so wedding gifts, stuff like that, you would have to give Maisa money. I see you must be learning Hilchus Maisa money. I would have come done a, a campaign for the yeshiva or something. I would have... Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I see there's a... What? Yeah, sorry. You're learning Hilchus Maisa? No, no. Oh, okay. <laughs> but, but the second person, I'm, 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 I'm quite impressed. Yeah. And uh, secondly, um, do you... Do people consider like giving tuition money to the yeshivas? They consider that Maisa money, is that true? Okay, so that depends on two things. One, if the tuition consists of eating and sleeping that you would have anyway had that expense, so, so um, the answer is no. So, so let's say at home it would cost $100 for the child, and in the, and in, and in the dormitory, it, you know, in yeshiva it costs $200, so $100 you might be able to duck. There's another factor also, and this is more up in the air, not cl- it goes as follows. Things that are considered normal obligations in that society. There is a halacha about to what point you have to teach a child, and then after that, you can, you can give her maisa. But if it's very normal in this society that it's considered almost obligatory, and, and um, you would be told that you must send your kid to yeshiva, then it's not clear that, that you could take her maisa. That's the, the rule is that which you're obliged to do, you can't take her maisa. That which, which um, you're not obliged to do, and it's a mitzvah, you can. So there would be a, it would be a shikola das today, let's say, I guess today since it's people go to yeshiva for a year or two after high school, I think it, it probably could be taken off. Probably. Yes. Let's take some new people. Okay. Yes. Um, well, the real issue is why were there open miracles once upon a time? If 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 he said before from Chal, Hashem wants us to earn it on our own, an open miracle tends to defy that because um, it's something that is uh, almost so evident that it doesn't leave you all that much room with free will. So it would be counterproductive to have open miracles. That's one. Two, let's give an example. <coughs> when people are dating and they're on the way towards getting married, there is a lot of duration of how much you care for the person and how loyal so on and so forth. And, and you give gifts and things like that. You, you make a show of it because you're trying to establish a relationship. When you're married, you base it on all of that and you, you don't want life to be constant it's, it's not a dating process, it's a process of living life. HaKadosh Baruch Hu established a certain, a certain emiss with the different miracles that he did and certain Yisodos um, Vamuna. Then we continue on faith and on trust and loyalty, and those are the important pieces. But, so but you have two things. One, it would basically defeat the purpose of it, and two, it's meant to bring out Loyalty, the fact that you base a marriage not on the fact that there's a continuous massive display <laughs> of, 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 you know, of, of showing how much affection, it just, it's there. And it's based on a kufa that was very, very solid. And then it's based on the loyalty and the faith that just keeps going. Yes? Yeah. Um, it says in the Torah to listen to your rabbis, like the origin for Mitzvah Sarabonan. My question is that when you do a misdirabanan, do you gain merit for the misdiraita of listening to rabbis, or do you gain merit based on the individual misdirabanan that you're getting? So, so this was an interesting question. It was asked in the opposite. If you transgress a dirabanan, did you transgress a doraisa because the Torah said to listen to rabbanan or not? That's the way. And then my Rick says the following point. He says it depends why you transgress. If you transgressed it because you were too lazy to light Hanukkah light, it was too far away, and you just weren't in the mood, so that's an Avera Rabbanan. 
if you don't like Hanukkah lift because who are the rabbis that don't know what to do, then you're over the rice. But I would like to add another dimension. So, so when a person does the mitzvah, he's, both things are happening. He's being a kind of rabbanan of the Hanukkah, and he's also affirming his, his, his uh, faith and trust in Chachamim, as the Torah said. But I, I want to add another um, dimension to rabbanans, because it's something that we struggle with a lot of times, that the morale says. He bases it on a, uh, on a, on a uh, Gemara, the Gemara, uh, Gemara, Mishnah, it says, "Vis kadashtem is mayim rishonim, v'yisem ktoshim is mayim machronim." So he asks, "What kind of limud is that?" I mean, the pasuk mayim rishonim and mayim achronim are the the rabbanan by all counts. Why? What's the what's the meaning of giving a pasuk? So the Maral says a, a fascinating insight, and it and it and it helps really give us a whole different take on rabbanans. He says like this: the Torah itself includes obligations, and it includes understandings that are not obligatory. In other words, when the Torah said "viskadashtem," the Torah meant there is room to be kadosh, and that included mayim rishonim and mayim achronim. The Torah did not obligate you to keep them. So, it's important to bear in mind, the obligation is the Rabbanon, the, the, the idea that this is good for you in a spiritual way is a Doraisa. The Rabbanon had this sensitivity to understand in the Torah. It's, it's, it's just like when somebody, you have parents or teachers, they tell you to do certain things, but they also let you understand that certain things are good to do. And therefore, and therefore, it doesn't. They haven't told you that you must do it, but you're wise in understanding that it's an appropriate thing to do. That's how, so. That's how morale explains older abundance. The Torah, they were sensitive and understood what the Torah feels is appropriate to do, even the things that are obligatory, and they decided which things to obligate us with. Yes. Um, obviously, we don't have a. Uh, an Isra of Bittal Torah because they don't have a Bia Purim Torah. Right. But do they have an Isra of Bittal's month? I, I wouldn't want to use the word Isra. I like to keep away from the word Isra. It's kind of a. I, but I would think that anyone who's a religious person and feels that his life was, was the most valuable thing given to him to do something with it. Would, would be abhorred by the sense of wasting time. Um, there's, there's a, um, there's a uh, famous story, I don't know who they say it about, he, a famous rabbi in a town walked in and he saw his balabatim playing cards. And they kind of looked a little bit sheepish and they said, Rebbe, we're just killing some time. He said, you know, I've been at the bedside of a very sick person and doctors are desperately trying to, to save him, to give him another hour of life, another day of life. Why would you take with your hands and kill time? I was not speaking, I had a, I had a, a doctor, a, a neighbor of mine, he was a wonderful, he was an Israeli, a very firm person, a wonderful doctor. He passed away two years ago, um, young, prematurely, he was in the 60s, Yossi Kleinman. I don't know if any of you have heard of him, he was about Yasha's doctor, he was, he, was a, he was a very special person. He was a neighbor of mine, and we were very good friends. And we were schmoozing about, you know, different <coughs> professions. And I told him, Yossi, let me tell you the difference in our profession. He said, you are in a hospital, and you're watching a 40-year-old man die. And you say to yourself, what a tragedy. Imagine if he would have lived another 40 years, what he could accomplish. And you're right, it's a tremendous tragedy, and your job is to prevent those tragedies and so on and so forth. He said, let me tell you where my job comes in. I said, I watch an 80-year-old man dying, and I say to myself, he could have given back 40 years change, and nobody would have noticed the difference. Nothing much happened, and it would easily squish out 40 years of his life compacted. That's a much worse tragedy, because when Hashem takes you, we're baffled, we're hurt, but we say, okay, it has nothing to do with the person, Hashem decided but when you had 80 years of life and 40 that were spent doing nothing, 
nothing of any value, nothing of, of, of any significance. So, so you killed 40 years. That's, that's, a, that's murder. You killed 40 years. I mean, life is the opportunity. That's all it is. Real life is there. So, so for life, the opportunity is just the opportunity. So, so a woman is, is, is actually a human being, believe it or not, and she, is, she has a task in the world, and Akarish Baruch who gave her days, each day for a task and therefore, it, it, it kills her again. I hate using technical words like Issa because they have to find a place for her. It, it's deeper than that. A, a person who's truly religious, it, it, it life is what God gave him. And to throw it out into the garbage is, is, an, incredibly, is, is an incredible statement of either you don't care about God, you don't really believe he gave it a time, you don't believe there's opportunity, or, or whatever. Yes? We'll get to you again. Okay, I'm sorry. I just, uh, yes. <coughs> yeah, you, you, yeah. So, uh, let's, without answering the question, l- let me explain the question. In, in, in generally speaking, in halacha, there are technical halachas. Um, I, I would like to refer you to a Rabbeinu B'chayu, who brings a Rabbeinu Hananel. It's in, um, it's in the parashas Vayera, L'man Yitzav of Achrov. So he says something like Kabbalah of this Nasika Halacha approximately, I don't, I don't remember the Lashem of hand it, it, we have two things that we need to take from the Torah there are technical Halachas and then there is the big picture and what it should look like Chazal definitely have made it both in the Torah itself and Chazal had given a certain tsura to what it's supposed to look like. When they said, when they strongly, strongly um, recommended against women being mighty men in many things, it's not to be, it, it, it's, it's, an, it's binding in a bigger sense than it is in, 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 in the specific sense. So, so many of the women's issues on technical grounds um, there's, um, there's nothing wrong, but in the big picture, it's terribly wrong because the others gave us, and again, the others of Chazal, they gave us a picture also. Rav Salvechik once said, they asked him about, I don't remember which issue, it was also one of those issues, and they were arguing with him halachically, and he coined a phrase in Yiddish, uh, that's where I heard it, so I. I as does hotnit to the etike from the from base knesses, not to the aesthetic. In other words, it's not the ethics, but it's the aesthetic aesthetics. He didn't mean the aesthetics in subjective. Chazal gave us a tsura, and they said having women lead the services where they can lead is lacking. We can we, we need to think about it. Why? Why? I mean, w- women women are not inferior, so why would it be like that? There's room to think about it. But we can't deny the fact that it's Chazal. To say they did it out of mean-spiritedness, to say they did it because they didn't understand such a woman, is basically destroying any sense that, that, that they were carrying a Messorah of Torah. And that's why, um, you know, it, 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 the, 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 the question, my answer is absolutely not. We have to keep the Messorah of Chazal. I gave us Chazal very clear. All these Lashonos, it's wrong. Um, it, it doesn't have to be technically wrong. They gave us a certain picture and a tsura of it, and so, so if somebody's in a Bidiavit situation, so someone would ask me to Shaila, he calls me up from Bangkok, and he says, I'm here for Shabbos, the only person who make it is a woman, should you make it or not? Only person who a woman. I say, yes. But, but, but if you're asking how, do we, how should we institute it, then, then, then you're, you're going as whole tsura of it, and it's very problematic. Yes, let me go back again. I, I feel bad. You, you, you've raised it a few times. Uh, yeah, I had two questions. Yes. Um, I know a lot of us are running the Jerusalem Marathon, and if you raise a certain amount of money for like different organizations, that you get certain prizes. Yes. Can you use that your own miser money to contribute to the prizes, even though it's all going to Sadaka? I, I didn't get the question clear. You, you run the marathon. Who gives you the money? Uh, let's say you get you get like a lot of donations from a lot of friends. But let's say if you get like another hundred dollars. 
you get a prize from the organization for raising X amount of money. Right. right? Can you use the hundred dollars from your own Meister money to get that prize, even though it's going to Sadaka? I guess if if that money, if if the prize you're giving yourself is what pushes you to do it, and thereby stuck earn more money. If you know yourself, you know without the prize, you probably wouldn't end up doing it. it, it then I would say you could. So l- let's give an example in another case. I can donate prizes to a stock organization off my MISA money, and they'll use those prizes to give to people who don't need uh, uh, money, but it'll encourage them to raise money. So I could do that. My sense is you could also do it, again, provided that this money is actually pushing you to do something which, which is useful for stock. That, that would be my feeling. Second question is... <coughs> what's the um, what's the header for Israeli soldiers who aren't on guard, like who are just offer shabbos to carry around their guns? And could that header apply to like France, where there's rising anti-Semitism? It, it, it would have. To, it, it, I, I, I would need to know exactly. You know, I, I would need to speak to somebody who's an expert in the fenders. If it's if it's a real necessity, if, if let's say having X amount of soldiers walking around with guns helps people, helps keep people in, in line and and this is part of the army's calculation that it, it, it's, it's, it's a muktza basically not more than that if there's an Arab there so that would be okay if if that's the case. It's it's not a statement you should make flippantly but if let's say if let's say part of the, of, of the psychology is that if X amount of soldiers are going around it helps keep, if it's just kind of I'm a soldier so having a gun is a nice thing and this and that you have to be honest. You have to find out the Metzius. The same thing in France. I don't know the reality. I'd have to look at it objectively, or, or somebody who can evaluate and say, is it, is, it, is, it a, is it needed, helpful, useful, and so on? I don't know the answer to that. But, yes? Um, we're not learning Hilchos Meister this year, but we are learning the stuff like Suez. And a lot of the Prakim that we learn, you get the impression, the way that the Gemara is written, um, that women, you know, let's say, are inferior or second class. Right. Uh, I'm sure I'd like to be Mulaman Chus, and that's not Chazal's intention at all. But sometimes it, se- it seems like there's a very strong implication to that idea. Uh, what, what's a response to, to saying that that's not the case? So, so l- l- I, I, again, well, uh, let's take the general sense of Chazal, let's talk about that. In a family has one component that's going to be having children. Um, it used to also be that housework was really hard, and, it, and unless you hire help, it's still not easy. It, it, it really needed one person to be at home and one person bringing money the outside. That's a normal structure of a family, um, which puts the woman at a tremendous vulnerability. She's the one at the, you, no matter how egalitarian your marriage is, you, it's still the woman who's going to have the children. I assure you, the man will never have children, no matter. How, how even spirited, even minded he is, she's going to have children. She's going to nurse children. She is usually much better adept at keeping things in check at home. And you know, again, there are exceptions always. But and the man, just even on a most basic level, he's stronger. He's physically more capable. He tends to be better at bringing parnasa. Always exceptions. Chazal created marriage, the, the marriage laws of of Mominus, to take that in mind. So the man, on the one hand, is in the position of bearing a lot of responsibilities towards the woman, and the woman needs to also, um, she needs to recognize that and financially give. It's something that, once, many years ago, there was a, a young man learning yeshiva by us, and he got engaged to a girl who came from an extremely wealthy family. Extremely wealthy family. And the family had been burnt many times by a lot of lawsuits and stuff. And they were always litigating. I don't know, I don't know exactly the story, but I, I think the, the girl's parent, father, from the day he took over the business till he died, he was, he was in courts half the time litigating. And he, I guess that's why he was very sensitive, so he, the, he insisted that he sign a 12-page contract. Now, he asked me if it's okay, a, a prenuptial of his design. I looked at it, and basically the design of it was that there are two financial, it would, the finances of the husband and wife would not touch. 
it would be two complete separate worlds. He would not give her money, she would not give him money. He would not spend her money, she would not spend his money. Everything would be 12 pages worth of that. And I told him, I was very annoyed. Actually, the person happened to be a Haredi person, but I think he just happened to be so burnt by it, by, by his litigation, that he was afraid maybe his son wanted money. I, I, don't, I don't know what the story was. I told him, I said, first of all, I said, I am, I am willing to do it if there'll be no Kriya Saksuba. We'll make an announcement, this Kala has no Ksuba. If you're happy with that, we have what to talk about. I said, because basically what you've done is you've, you've extracted every bit Ksuba. There's nothing left to the Ksuba. Secondly, I said, I find issue with it because it's one thing when you make a certain condition that instead of giving a 200, you want to add another 100. Chazal allowed for that. If let's say somebody was having a condition because he has medical expenses that he wouldn't pay, whatever it is, I could at least. But what you're doing is you've destroyed something that Chazal made. It's it's technically and again the same story like we spoke about the women things. Technically, it's valid. Technically, you can do whatever you want in Mamanis. But Chazal instituted a ksuba, and that's the financial heart of marriage, and it creates problems when you're together. But at least as a family. If everyone runs his own thing, they have two people who happen to find a head to how to live with each other. That's, that's what happens. There's no family there. He's got his children. He's got her children, basically. I mean, what, when the child wants a lollipop, who does it come from? Like, uh, it's, it's, basically, it's like, it's like divorced parents married. It, 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 it's undermining the very, very structure of it. Chazal said a woman is more vulnerable. She tends to be weaker. She's, she, she tends us. And that's how it was created to do it. So I think I think exodus of all examples is a concern that that the woman's vulnerabilities not be taken advantage of. She has a dozen kids and now he decides <coughs> you worry about feeding the kids. I it's, it's the you know you washing bills. Well, the husband's got to worry. She's not well. He has to take care of her. But there's the Chazal were, were even-handed, so she has to give him the income. She can tell him, you know, you're so muscle, I earn a lot more than you. Keep your food, and I'll and I'll do mine. There's a checks and balances that were that were, that were exceptional. Yes. Um, so just to answer that, also not not necessarily towards marriage, but even towards kids. Like we talk about how a daughter, you know, most of her rights go straight to the father, while a son has more rights for himself, or a right. son who's osig for Torah, so he you know he has more rights himself. <coughs> it's it's also the structure of, of a father-daughter relationship is. A daughter tends to be more vulnerable, um, and a woman are vulnerable. And, and anyone who claims not like that is, is denying facts. It, it's and yes, you say maybe society bred into them. I don't believe it's true. I think it's part of the beauty of a woman that she's open and accepting and trusting, and and it's and it and it's also horrifying because it can be taken advantage. So, so there's a sort of protective mode of the father, and and whereas the son is expected to fend on his own and so on. It, 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 there are certain basic. Salvechi said this also. They wanted to make, a, a, they wanted to base a certain heter for Agunas, you know, for Agunas meaning women whose divorce was held, based on the fact that Tabla Mesa Tandu doesn't exist anymore. That it's better for a woman to be married than to be single doesn't exist because today women can earn as much money and so on and so forth. That was, there were proponents in, in Yeshiva University who wanted to bring that as a possible heter, and he nixed it. And he said the following. He said, that a woman needs to be married more than anything else is based on a pasik and chumish of who Yimshelbach. Akarish Baruchu gave that as a nature that a woman needs a man in a way that a man doesn't need a woman. And Chazal built the halachas on that. It, it, is it fair? If Akarish Baruchu did it, I assume it's fair, but, but that's the difference in the two. The two they're not. They're not arbitrary rules, and, and they weren't built on a specific time set. This is something very, very deeply rooted. Rabbeinu Mazarene Bracha was the Rav of Silver Spring, and he would speak to, you know, as part of the Rav, he had to do divorces. And he told me, over the years, he spent time talking to the women how difficult life without a husband is. And to think about it and to try to go to some sort of counseling and therapy. You know, he wasn't a counseling therapist, but he very much, he said they didn't believe him. And he said, from experience <coughs> over the years, the vast majority 
it was much harder for them than they thought. As difficult as a difficult husband was, alone for a woman is very difficult. And he, there was one woman I remember who he told her the same thing, and she was very angry at him, and she said, you know, she she called him some names and so that and so on and so forth. She got divorced. A year or later, she came and yelled at him for letting her get divorced. That her life is so miserable. I mean, I know the person is. She uh, still lives there, and her former husband got remarried. She's not, and she, she you know, it's, it's these are things that uh, that that the Torah created with a different way. Their their target is as important as a man's, but just arbitrarily saying that whatever is good for man is good for woman, whatever is good for woman is good for man is is not. Yes. So I, I, I would I would um, say the following. Supposedly, again, I, I'm looking at it from the, the ethics. Whenever whenever you're in a court, you, you're dealing with a different system. You're dealing with the ethical system, the American court system, or English, or whatever it is that you are. So my assumption is you can always what you're trying to do is put this down in a way that showing areas that legally this person might not be considered guilty. That's one possibility. But I would really make a distinction in halacha between cases that the person is going to affect society later or not. Let's take an example. Somebody (coughs) smuggled in stuff that he shouldn't have smuggled in. I know, uh, diamonds. I'm not talking about anything. And He's 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 being tried in court. If he goes if he goes off innocent, you're not affecting anybody in any real way. It's just that society needs to make these boundaries. So as long as it's fair and it's in court, you have the boundaries. But let's say the person is a murderer, and you and 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 you help him get off the hook, and then he kills somebody. You're liable. If somebody stole from somebody else, um, and it's clear, and it's not just a legal issue of who owes who. And you're helping him. Then, in a certain sense, you're a part of the crime, and, and it's a he- and it's a heavy moral burden. So, I would distinguish between a: will it affect other people or not? If yes, it's wrong. If not, maybe. And it also depends. Sometimes it's it's, it's a legal question. It's not clear that he stole money. It's, it was a business deal, and you can look at this like this way. Then you have a right to present his side. Yes, somebody there hiding. Oh. Green shirt or no? no okay. But yes, you look very familiar. A little louder. I'm, I'm sorry. I, I would hate to say that. I guess it means <laughs> it takes us an awful long time to do what we're supposed to do. What? So, we don't know, you know, these are words. In other words, we don't begin to understand. It, it, it's not, I mean, I guess when it's dramatized, if a person had, you have these stories where the person's tachlis in life was to go to this and this place and to make a bracha, and then he finished his tachlis and so forth. I, I would assume that our tachlis is very complex. And it's it's with parents and grandparents and teachers and community members, and we have a little bit here and a little bit there and a little bit here, and and Akadosh Baruch Hu knows the, knows knows the 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 the, the sum of it all. Um, th- these are things that really we need to say these things, you know, that he fulfilled his ticket because we need to help the person, you know, come to grips with a loss like that. But but that we can stand with a pencil and paper and say, okay, you know, we know exactly what. We assume that if a person is able to live his life normally, then all the pieces are supposed to fit in. Um, let me tell you, by the way, a fascinating story. Uh, it's not about people fulfilling a ticker or something. I read a few years ago, this story came to light. Tells the Rosh Hashiva was somebody named Reblazer Gordon. He was a big guy. And he was a big Balmusser. An extraordinary person. He went to England to collect money. I think the year was 1910. He wasn't an old person. He died suddenly and was buried in London for a long time. 
and it was a big tragedy. And people for a long time, basically, the story was he tried to raise money, they needed a lot of money, it was very difficult, and he died heartbroken, and what a tragedy, and so on and so forth. That's what the story was for a long time. Recently, about five, ten years ago, I saw they published from the family. There's actually, he has grandchildren alive. Reb Shmuel Yaakov Burstin Shlita, he's a Shiva of Yeshiva in Playback, he's a great grandson, he's married into the family, married to the Kleiner family. The Kleiner, who has a Yeshiva in, in, in Beta Karim, I think, is also part of that family. And they have a different version of the story. They have a full version of a story, and it's a fascinating story. The, the sum of money that he traveled to collect in England, and those days traveling from Lithuania to England was very difficult, was not great. And it was sort of a spur-of-the-moment decision. It wasn't something that he had actually that he'd actually needed it. If he would have thought it over, it wasn't something really... It was a sum of money, but if something could have gotten together in Lithuania, he decided to go to England. When he was in England, two people helped him. And two people that he ran into unexpectedly. Both of them had been living in towels before before uh, before Blazer Talza was was had had uh, taken over the job. And Blazer Gordon Talza, and one of them was the sheikh in town. He was an older man, and as Robert of town, Blazer was a young man. He asked the shocher to show him his knife. He felt miffed a bit because he was older and and he didn't want to. And Blazer Gordon told him, you can't stay here. And he left. And he went to England. The second person was a, somebody, a candidate for the Rabbanis. Might have been a child or a previous Rab, or, or, or a very viable candidate who felt upset that Blazer Gordon had edged him out. Both these people had moved on to England. He bumped into both of them. And both of them told him that they had been upset with him. And he asked Mechila from both of them. And he died. I can't tell you for sure. I mean, this is this is the family Masoras about two strange things that happened. But it is kind of fascinating. It is, the hashkach of it is incredible. We can't say that that was the reason, but it's something to really give us a lot of to think about. Yes? I mean, we got somebody, uh, somebody hadn't asked a question before? Or you, I think, hadn't asked. Yes. So, um, art scroll wasn't around yet. I, I assure you they didn't use art scroll. I don't know if, if they had any makeup. So. Um, le, let me <coughs> let me share the the, the, the Balatanya has a mimer in his mamar, not in Tanya. It's in Likute Mamarim. It's in, I'm sorry, it's in Torah. Likute Mamarim. It, it's probably the Kutim Amarim. It's, it's, I, I believe it's Pasha Shlach Abaloscha. In one of those places. And he says the following. It says in the Zorah Kaddish that when Yaakov Avinu carved out those sticks, he was, that was a pchin of tefillin. Tefillin is black on white. You know, you have these black straps in white hand. So when you carve out the sticks, it's also tefillin. So he asks, I, I mean, it's, it's as far from tefillin as, as you can get. What's this? What does it mean? So he says the following. He says Torah has an essence to it, and it has the 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 um, the form in which Akadosh Baruch Hu wanted you to demonstrate it. For instance, if I tell you, I would like you to express the difficulty of this of the of these of the. Um, it, 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 the, the, the military and the safety situation at Israel express it in an essay, express it in a musical composition, express it in a play, in a dance. Each one can express it in a certain way. Torah has a certain essence that a Kaddish Baruch wants to express. The mitzvahs that we have is one set of ways of expressing it. And they're binding on us because Akash Baruch gave it to us in Sinai. But the same inyanim could be expressed in different ways if you knew how to express it in different forms. <coughs> so the others, they took the essence of the mitzvahs and they expressed it in a different format. 
So it wasn't the exact mitzvah ma'isa that we have, but it was a. It, it, they they had they understood how else it can be expressed. The same way, like we can express the difficulties of of our situation in many different ways. We can express it: stories, documentaries, and stuff like that. But but right now, Torah is the only way we can do it. We can do the film shows in other ways. But but the only way that we the, our main way is mitzvahs as we have it. The others were able to do it in different ways. That's how he explains it, and I I I, I feel very confident that that explanation I I, I feel is, is is the partial explanation. Yes. Uh, showering and Shabbos and Yes. Uh, where do the Israelis and Hasidim shower Shabbos and So there are a lot of there are a lot more complexity to that Shiloh um, than you've asked. There's let me just I, I run down a few points. I, again, I don't want to use this format to pass in halachas. It's not a good format for that. Um, but there are a lot of issues we don't realize. For instance, in America, um, we have this issue, obviously, I'm in America. In America, the tanks work very different than at Israel. At Israel, the hot water tank is a closed tank. Um, and you can close it off from the outside water, and then the hot water comes out. And then you have one set of issues. In America, it's much worse than that. In America, when the main water goes off, you can't get any hot water. And the reason is because what gets the hot water to come out is as soon as you open your hot water faucet, there's a rush in of cold water into the tank, and that pressure pushes the hot water out, which means the vessel instantly, as soon as you do. That's, it's in America, it becomes a real issue. Um, you run into there are more issues than are alluded to in the, in the summaries you read online um, and that's why there is a mockum for different things you could aver ave certain ways but unless you go through all the details well you can end up with real vision like, like in America if you don't if you can't figure out what to do with the tank there's no head to fit and on the, even, even Yontem probably couldn't be mattering because the water you're heating is not the water you're using so, I don't want to answer specific halakhi issues, but those issues tend to be, there are ways that you could do it, enough at least that to feel better. I'll, I can tell you what we did on this yantiv, it was a, it was a three-day yantiv. Um, I took the boiler down to, um, I forgot how many degrees it was, it, it, was an, it was very lukewarm, the water. That's even when you had only hot water on. That allowed for a lot more than you could normally do. But again, I, I don't want to go into details. It's, it, halachic format needs to have its format. It, it, you need to sit down, go from A to Z, not, not short question and answers. But, but there are much more issues than you realize. And the people don't realize that in America, it's a very different issue than Israel. And if Avadiosev's Hyperim are at Israel specifically, the difference is Farah and Ashkenazim, it's, 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 if, if you're honest, you have to learn through it. Again, there are ways to do Ponyva Raglov with, 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 by mixing Chaim and Ritzon. I, I just want to tell you that you need to be careful and cautious about it. Not so passion. Is anybody else Panam Hadoshis? You know, the, if not, we'll finish up with somebody's. Uh, okay. I, uh, I don't want to offend anybody, but um, what, what's your opinion on learning Kasiyas? Of whether it be uh, in lieu of Torah learning, should be a mass quantity, or you know, j- just very little part of your time learning? <laughs> So first thing, let me ask, what do you mean by chassidus? The chassidus farm, the way of learning, the approach. Well, I happen to think chassidus farm come in a huge range of farm. So I'm always amazed when people put it on the one. Uh, one. Um, the, the question is, what, what are you replacing with it? There, there are two or three issues with it. And again, I, I happen to very involved in it, it's something that talks to me but I also recognize the issues one if it becomes the major limit of a person in the good, t- in, in the good times in his learning needs to be Shas and Polskim that's the bread and butter anything else it's, it's like bread, butter and dessert dessert might leave a great taste in your mouth but on an empty stomach you eat enough dessert you throw up it, it needs the solidity of 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 Yerushalayim is the bread and butter is this. It keeps you straight also because when you mm-hmm. read something strange, halacha doesn't allow room. When, when the Gemara says kasha, how can you say that? The this and this, 
you never answer, well, he was a big tzaddik and he knew what he was doing. That's not an answer that holds. Everybody's accountable. And, and it's very important that at the end of the day, you can defer and say, I guess he knows what he's doing. But, but you can't justify. One of my children asked me once about a certain rabbi, and his davening time was off the charts erratic. And he asked me, is he doing right or wrong? I said, I don't feel I'm in a position to judge him. And he said, you're evading the question. And I told him, no. I recognize in Shokharov, I can't find any place to be Mako on it, to be Mata. On the other hand, I know the person, the person is huge. I, don't I can't say it's a horror over here. I can't see an oversight. So I, I need to say, I don't know. I don't know. It's, but it's important the discipline, that this is what it says. And, and, and it is also a certain, it, it grounds you. Whereas other things have a tendency to make you sort of, you know, fly up. If Chesidus itself is a problem, a lot of it is written with a poetic touch to it. And if somebody takes it as, as 